Hello, and welcome to the Radio Check Podcast, life in the concert touring industry, where we'll be speaking with and interviewing the best talent in the business, taking not only a deep dive into what it takes to put on a world-class show, but also life on the road and sharing experiences that span the globe, highlighting the people that are responsible for making your favorite artists look and sound great. My name is Matt Kanzi, and your host on this podcast is Chris Kanzi, a 40-year veteran in the live music touring industry. Over the years, Chris has traveled the globe several times over and has escalated through the ranks, bringing him to the top of his profession. He has established hundreds, if not thousands, of connections with other industry professionals, artists, and musicians. This podcast is your backstage pass to what happens behind the scenes and on the road when traveling and working with some of the world's top musicians. So sit back and enjoy. Once again, twice in one week, Brother Chris, it's always an absolute pleasure to see you, man. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. We're in the throes of uh, hurricane season and uh, uh, Laura is about to hit. Uh, the Louisiana Texas border as, as a category four hurricane, so that that's uh, gives you an idea of of uh, what's going on here. And right. We're getting residual rain and wind and nastiness, and but we're not in the path, so we're really You're lucky. Really, You're really lucky. lucky. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you guys are. Uh, you know, certainly have a lot of bad memories when it comes to hurricanes there for sure. Um, but it's interesting because our guest today, you know, we, before we started recording here, um, he apparently is. Uh, catching a little bit more of the brunt of it. So we've got an, an icon in the industry, I, I think, is, a, is probably a, a proper introduction to him. He's uh, been around for a super long time. So we're just going to jump right into it. Chris, who do we have today? We've got uh, a very dear old friend of mine um, that I just love working with and look forward to seeing every time uh, I see his name come up. Uh, uh, a lot of history between us. And uh, he's got a lot of history in the industry, first as a concert touring guy himself. Uh, and, uh, you know, several years ago, he decided he wanted to stay put in Houston and, and uh, work for Pace Concerts. Um, so we've got uh, Mr. Steve Lawler come on from Houston. Hi, Steve. How's it going, Chris? And Matt, right. nice to meet you. Hey, Steve. Nice to meet you. Really good, really good. So, Steve, you're kind of, you're, you're kind of a, uh, you and I are, the storm is coming right between us. I'm in New Orleans, you're in Houston, and the storm is making landfall kind of halfway between us right now. So we're both getting the edges. Um, so what are you seeing there? I'm getting rain and wind. What are you seeing? We, you know, this time of the year, we really need the rain here in Houston. We kind of depend on the tropics to bring us some showers, and we aren't getting anything. You, you would think we're so close. I mean, we're about 75 miles, 80 miles from the edge of the storm. And it's, we're getting a little breeze. I mean, the, the wind's supposed to blow about 50 tonight, but it might not even rain here. When And you go, again, 80, 90, maybe a little bit further than that to the heart of it. But you go 80 miles from here, and you're not going to want to be there tonight. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, the... This is a catastrophic storm. If it would have hit Houston uh, or New Orleans, but Houston, because we haven't gotten a really, really bad windstorm in years. I mean, like 50 years. We've had some kind of smaller hurricanes. And then, of course, we had the flood, which everybody 
is heard of Harvey when we had rained 50 to 70 inches, depending on where you were in three days. But we, uh, yeah, we dodged a bullet on this one, I think all of us, except for the poor people there in Lake Charles. Yeah. Wouldn't want to be there tonight. I would not either. You know, I'd heard, I heard a term on the Weather Channel today that I'd never heard before. It was an unsurvivable storm surge you know so you know some of the people down on on the, on the coast and in maybe some of the s smaller islands in the gulf of mexico not, they could be completely underwater i mean gone well you're talking about a 20-foot tidal surge that nearly would be unsurvivable although it's just like the rest of the news in the world they've got to build it up to the nth degree and this cat it's going to be a cat five and you go you know, 150, 140, you don't want to be there. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's 150, no. 160, you don't want to be there. Yeah, the whole cat I mean, file, I've been watching the weather channel today. That, that will take buildings and toss them through the air. That will take, you know, tractor trailers and throw them through the air. It's just incredible how much force it is. Well, you know, you and I have kind of been through these hurricanes before. Um, I've been in about 10 or 15, and I drove into a couple. Matter of fact, I was doing a Def Leppard show in Biloxi one time, and, and um, we got there in the morning. We were coming from Baton Rouge, and we got off the bus, and the old guy was sitting there going, y'all going to cancel? And I go, for what? Because there was a hurricane. It just formed up. We had to set the, um, the sound and lights back down. We actually loaded in because no one wanted to cancel. Everybody, don't cancel. Let them cancel. You know, the battle with the bands and everything. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up setting all of the sound and lights on the ground and, and all these prisoners were around because they brought them in. It was safe in the, in the uh, audit in the Coliseum, which is right on the beach. And we went down and uh, checked in the hotel and uh, luckily the band didn't have a show the next day. We did the show the next day after the huh. storm. It was not a bad storm. So. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, well, you and I have known each other. I mean, I, I thought about it today, knowing I was going to speak to you, and, and I really couldn't pinpoint how long we've known each other. Uh, it, it could be, uh, my guess is going to be early 90s. It could be late 80s, but I'm going to guess early 90s. But we've done so many shows together, whether it be in, you know, Houston or in the Texas region and Louisiana. I mean, wh wh wherever Pace Concert had, had you go. We had done shows together, so you you yeah. you 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 you. When did you start? I mean, was was it with Pace and Louis Messina? Was that the first when you when you left the road? Was that is that where you went? Well, you kind of have to involve my road work. I mean, I, do you want to hear the whole story? Or the, yeah, if you want to, if you want to skip. When us I was a, in uh, high school, <laughs> of course, this business didn't exist back then, right? I mean, it wasn't a business. I mean, there was promoters, there was, of course, bands, but it wasn't like a legitimate business, really. And, then, and so I started, uh, I got my first job, blew out my knee so I couldn't play football anymore in my junior year of high school. And I went and um, I went to work at a grocery store. It was brand new. It had no one. We stocked it. And then the, the first day they opened, they had told us to get haircuts. So we went down and got a haircut. And came back, I sacked one day, you know, sacked the groceries and took them out back then. You know, no one really carried the groceries outside. So we, um, they told the cows in there. I had to get another haircut. That was the end of my sacking career. So that <laughs> evening, a buddy of mine went down and we went to a dinner theater that was just opening. Walked in the door. 
and that place there was nothing kind of going on. It was just we walked in the door. The place wasn't open. It wasn't finished yet, but it was nearing completion. And this guy walked out. Y'all need a job. We go, well, yeah. And, and he goes, we, you know, we wanted to be bus boys, or we we didn't know anything. Anyway, the guy came back said, y'all are hiring your stagehands. Well, my buddy didn't. He said, I don't know how to be a stagehand. I said, I bet we can figure this out. So that's what I did in high school. And then when high school was over, I went to the University of Houston and uh, I, I joined a program council where we produced concerts. And that's where I kind of learned. And then I met the Eckermans, which was Rodney and Rodney Eckerman. And we, we kind of stuck together. Rodney and I just kind of, he, he stayed with Pace and he was around when we became SFX. But Rod, Ronnie Eckerman was Leonard Skinner's roadman after a while. But so while I was in college from about 70 through 75, I would do little tours. And then in 75 was the first year I did kind of a real tour. I went out with the Rolling Stones and um, my friend Patrick Stansfield was the production manager. And it was kind of a summer job more than I was, I was running around doing lights and just helping people. And, and then that fall, I went back to school, and they, uh, they ended the Vietnam draft lottery. So that I said, I, you know, I'm going to take next semester off. And I went out. Um, I was supposed to go out with Fleetwood Mac, but uh, I got a phone call from Ronnie Eckman. And uh, one of uh, his guys had gotten caught in bed with Christine McVie by John. <laughs> he was fired. Well, you know Curry Grant, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah that's, 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 was it Curry? <laughs> it was Curry. You never heard that from Curry? Ask him uh, about well, that story sometimes. Uh, you know, I, everybody knows about that. If, you know, if you've been around long enough, you know the, the Curry Grant fluid back stories. But, uh, yeah, and then so he, so a friend of mine, I sent a friend of mine, and I had a final one the next day. And then the, the next, you know, in, in, in February, they called me back and, you know, I was kind of working in the warehouse, working on lights. And they, they said, you want to go out with this guy named Peter Frampton? And I said, oh, sure. I'd never heard of him. Went out. I, well, the first show I did with it was the Argonne Ballroom in Chicago. And I got there, loaded in. And I mean, over the next two years, we just didn't stop. You know, he, he became so big. We, we, you know, and I had done some stadium. Yeah, that was the Frampton Comes Alive thing, right? Right. He he just took off. I mean, we, we went from yeah. theaters to stadiums in about two months. Well, I saw that and, show in, in somewhere in Massachusetts or Connecticut. So as a child, I was in the same room as you. There you go. I've heard that from a lot of people. I, you know, you run into people, man, I was like 10 years old. <laughs> so, you know, then, you know, we kept in, and so Clearlight, which was the lighting company, which Ronnie and Rodney owned, but we were trying to do production and we were doing, uh, you know, doing Frampton and Rod, Ronnie was starting to do Leonard Skinner and Rodney, we did Fleetwood Mac. And then, um, you know, then we, I went with Gary Wright. I, I don't even remember. I went out with Fleetwood. We, we were just kept touring, and it was just pretty constant. And, and then, this was a, a, a lighting tech? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Or, and then yeah. I became production manager. For you did? Yeah. And, and then on the stadiums. So, I, you know, I was cranking out four stadiums a week. And we, we were kind of learning how to do it back then. And um, 
Were you using local production a lot of the weddings? No, no, we we you no, took everything. Yeah, matter of fact, we toured with our own roof. Oh, we wow. we would kind of load in in the morning. They'd have the steel there, and um, we'd pop up the roof on showdown. It was part of our loading on showdown. <laughs> Different world today. So, uh, and you know, then I guess most people that know me, you know, know that I was we I was with Skinner when we crashed. And then when that was over, that we kind of beat us up pretty good, ruined the company. I mean, it, it just drew because Ronnie Ackerman had hired the plane. He was the road manager, and um, you know they kind of knocked us. And I came back. And I went out with Boss Gags. Then I went out with Foreigner. So in the meantime, I had met. I knew Louis. That this was like '78. So I had met Louis Messina. And the, the production guys were Pace. And, um, you know, they were an interesting story how they started. But um, so they were doing the first Texas Jam in 78. We, I was out with Foreigner, and we were just banking stadium shows, you know. So they called me up and said, Could you help us? We don't really know how to do a stadium show. So we went up and did the first Texas Jam at the Cotton Bowl. I went back with Foreigner. I don't remember. We went over to Europe. And, Japan, you know, toured the world a couple of times. It was great, but and I, I didn't really want to stop the road. And I, I, I still enjoyed it. But then in about '81, I kind of started working more full time for Pace than I did doing tours. They would let me tour a little bit every once in a while, but basically that's when I started kind of starting with Pace, and then I became a promoter rep, which is what I still do today. Nice, and and and. and and in Houston, what was, was it the summit at that point in time? Where were the gigs in Houston in those in that time? Well, what had happened was in '75 they were building the summit, and, and uh, it was kind of one of the first, you know, it was one of the mega uh, arenas been built. And Alan Becker, who owned Pace, performing arts conventions and exhibitions, as I've been told, uh, he um, he kind of cut an exclusive deal with the summit. So the, the other gigs in Houston was uh, the old Sam Houston Coliseum that was built right after the Democratic Convention, which was in Houston in 32 or something. So it had been around. It was old, hard to load into. And it was connected yeah, to yeah. Um, it was connected to the Houston Music Hall. And um, those were kind of the gigs here. And then Hoffines Pavilion, which was where I started at the University of Houston. But you couldn't really rig in there. So once you started, there was asbestos in the ceiling. Of course, we didn't know it at the time. All this crap falling on us when we were climbing around up there. We used, at times we'd take the motor up there and drop the chain. We were so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, when did so, you transition from uh, stacking PA and crank up towers for lights to to rigging everything? Well, when did you say that? Like when we were touring uh, Madison Square Garden, Major. Um, they had their own baskets. So, you know, you, the way they load the PA and there was a base, you know, and then you'd put a mid range on top of that, a horn on top of that. Generally all the PAs were, you'd just stack them on these, yeah. uh, you know, cards kind of that they'd roll in. And I remember Anaheim calls, I mean, arena or whatever they call it in, in LA and Anaheim, they, they made us put it on. So I guess, I remember the Rolling Stones in 72 
they they carried their own sound wings. They were they were on these tackle braid lifts that drove in. So the PA came in. They just literally drive the PA in on this lift, parking nice. on each side. And then they had two rams on each side that picked up the trucks. And that was in '72. So probably we started rigging like. I remember the first time I was around rigging was like a Bob Hope show where we rigged a center cluster. Then um, I had rigging probably started about 75. You know, and they called it Disney riggers, Grassley, and I don't remember who all could say there was four of them, I think. They, they were kind of teaching us all to rig. That's 75. Yeah, yeah. By 76, we were rigging. Right. Nice. I mean, when I was a kid, I can I can just remember crank up towers and stacking PAs as a stagehand, and you know it was is it, it was archaic compared to what we do now. It's crazy. It's also a little unsafe. <laughs> I oh I remember the crank the Vermit towers, and the, they had a genie. It was an airlift compression thing, and and then uh, then you know once we started rigging, we really the lighting's rig exploded. Went yeah, yeah, yeah. They got big, yeah. Two hundred a day. Yeah, eight hundred amps, three phase of of bar cans. <laughs> oh, Van Halen, I think, was the biggest one in the bar can world. They had like two or three semis of just bar cans. Yeah, it is rolling. Wow. Oh, yeah. You, 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 yeah. you, you. If you brought up the faders too much, you could blow everything, the whole building out because it was. So <laughs> You know, it's nothing like the LEDs of today. Oh, yeah, the feeder cable's hot. You know, yeah, it's crazy. Hey, so, you know, you, you mentioned Leonard Skinner a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's famous. You Everybody knows you you were in that plane crash. And, and you, you've told me that story before. And it's, it's mm -hmm. an absolutely fascinating story. And, and, and to hear you tell it, it's, it's, you know, like it was yesterday. And, and you, you doesn't, didn't seem to feel like you had any you know, residual issues with it, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's, um, no, I've never had a problem kind of talk. It was just another accident to me. I've been through the windshield and cars I, you know, it's like I've been in bus accidents. You've been, you know, just all kind of, you know, it was just, uh, you know, it, and a lot of the people, the way I look, I, I went back to the crash site last year. Really? Yeah. I, um, uh, I hadn't been back ever, and, you know, with Facebook, I follow a couple of the other guys that were on the plane with us, and uh, I, I hadn't seen them. I mean, some, one of the guys sitting next to me after we crashed, I hadn't seen since I saw him in the seat next to me after we hit the crane. So, you know, I kind of wanted to go back and see some of the guys, and so uh, I, I, I've got a tour bus. Uh, I've, been, I've got Nashville, and one of the guys lived in Nashville, and uh, another guy could drive in Nashville, but he, you know, he's had a couple of strokes. We lived a rough life. Some of them are getting a little <laughs> rough around the edges, and I feel sorry for some because that was their real life. You know, they, they, once that band was gone, they didn't have another band to go to. You know, right? And, and so that was kind of their the end of their kind of career. Right? There's very few of us, really, that uh, Kevin Elston and, uh, you know, of course, a couple of members of the band still tour, but um, all in all, most of the road crew is not touring or didn't tour after that. Right. That was traumatic, I would imagine. It, it, it was. I mean, you know, it's like, 
I guess I take things a little differently than a lot of people. I just, hey, I lived and man, I'm glad. Yeah. How many people were on the plane? There was 26 of us, including the two pilots. Um, you know, and I, I'd, I'd hear from time to time, oh, I was going to be on the plane. The plane was full. I mean, we rode on it, you know, and they had had the plane for quite a while. I've, I've heard so many stories about, you know, there's been movies out recently. And, and that was one of the things that I really liked about going to the uh, back to the site. I met all the people that actually pulled us out. And, and uh, it was pretty interesting, you know, talking to them. We actually walked over to the site where they don't really know where exactly it was, but it was in 50 or 60 feet. Yeah. You saw how rough it was for those people, you know, because we crashed right at dusk. So by the time they found us, it was night. I mean, you you can't even imagine the hell those guys went through to find us. I mean, I walked through there after kind of we got out there at dark the last time I went, and it was like you came back, you had, you know, you know how the brambles or the, the brush yeah, yeah, stickers, yeah. it just... I, it, and it was like a little creek there that is, I, it was fairly full of water that night, I think. Wow. And who were these people that, that found you? Uh, who were they? Just like there farmers, was, neighbors? I mean, who were they? they were a bunch of great guys. It's a little bitty town called Gillsburg, which was, and then the biggest town around is called Macomb. We were headed for Baton Rouge, just north of where you are. I mean, we were coming down, because that's how I kind of remember it. We, we took off from Greenville, Spartanburg. North Carolina. That's the last show we did. And it was different because people in the touring industry, that the way we tour now is so much different than the way we toured then. We all, the crew flew with the band. So everybody was like we had one bus, but the bus was an airplane. Yeah. So was, was there equipment on there too? No. But the, um, but the plane, basically, what we would do is the band would wait on us to get all, you know, they would stay on the plane. We'd load out, we'd go get on the plane and fly to the next city. And if we had a show overnight, you kind of check in the hotel the next morning, if there was time, that usually was, wasn't that far. And we would shower up and go to do the gig. And then you do that three or four days in a row, you were hurting pretty bad. <laughs> That's why because you can't sleep and, on but, but I, I don't know. That's the way they wanted, you know, they did it. And um, we took off from Greenville, Spartanburg, and uh, flew down. And it, when we were running the night before, we, were, we, we went from, not the night before, but we went from Lakeland, Florida, up to Greenville, Spartanburg. And that's when the old uh, pilot walked back to me and he said, um, is the engine on fire? I will fly. <laughs> So I woke up because we'd done the gig in Lakeland and we were flying to do the gig the next morning, you know, the next day in uh, in Greenville Spartanburg. And I looked out and, you know, you see in movies where it's on fire and it's flaming. That's, yeah. It wasn't that kind of flaming. It was like a Bunsen burn kind of. So what was happening was the fuel was just, the engine was burning too much fuel or something, you know, just spitting it out. And so he went up and adjusted some, came back and asked me, because I was sitting over the wing. We didn't have assigned seats or anything. And I looked out. I go, what? Yep, it's gone. Oh, well, go back to sleep, you know. And, uh, I, you know, you trust pilots, you trust doctors, you trust pet presidents. And then you get older and you don't trust any of them anymore. But 
So we landed, we did the show that night, which was my birthday. And then the next day we were off. So that meant we stayed in that town. We didn't fly to the next city like you would today. And uh, so we stayed and uh, I was one of the last ones to get to the plane. I got on the plane and got in the seat and then we took off, you know, it was a slow plane. I only flew about 250 miles an hour. So then we flew, you know, not, it really wasn't that extended a flight of it, but there's always been questions of, did they fill the tanks totally, you know, whatever, I guess gas gauges on planes aren't that good. You know, you're bouncing around, whatever. They do it by the hour and by the pound of the fuel. And we were flying, we were coming down um, 55, right north of y'all, right? And uh, we went past Jackson and then uh, the ride engine started quitting. And uh, by then I was in the back playing poker. There were about six of us in the back playing poker. And um, so the ride engine started quitting. And you know, and I've seen movies where it caught on fire and blew it by about, it didn't, it just stopped. I mean, you know, and what happened was is the fuel in the right wing had run out. So he, he floated the tank. And probably what had happened is the engine had deteriorated and was just burning way too much fuel, or they didn't fill it up enough. Either way, we, we kind of went down past Macomb, you know, coming toward New Orleans, really, and then we kind of took a right because we were going to Baton Rouge, and and both engines were running then. We were, but then they both stopped, and we kind of went past. Gillsburg and we had passed the airport in Macomb and have, and I remember us turning around. We were going back to Macomb. I've listened to the recording and uh, we didn't make it. I mean, it just both the engines were quitting and uh, we nearly made a field, but we didn't. We went down in some trees and we might have been okay had we not hit a big tree. So on the way down, we kind of um, we, my phone's ringing. And so we kind of bounced off the trees. They were like pine trees. You know how East, yeah, yeah. Southern Louisiana, Northern Mississippi, Southern Mississippi, Northern Louisiana, there is North. Just nothing but forest. And we, we kind of bounced a few times, went to start down the trees. I remember a tree ripping through the top and hit me. That's kind of what knocked me out, I think. And, and then I guess when we hit the ground, this, the guys that helped us out, your question how what kind of people they they, they told us that we kind of slid along the ground evidently you know at about 80 90 miles an hour we might but we hit a tree just dead on and and, and that that killed the two pilots and, and the engine and that plane evidently went up back kind of curved up in the air and all the pictures you see from it or what, the next day they pulled the plane away from the uh, from the um, the tree to, to retrieve the pilot's bodies. But um, yeah, I've talked to the guys that pulled us out. They were, they were kind of farmers. It's kind of an area, um, not really crops, but they grow trees. You know, people just kind of live out in the country there. And there was this guy, Johnny Locke, that I met. He, he, he supposedly was the one that shot Artemis, right? You've heard that story, right? No. Oh. Yeah, Artemis says he got, you know, the drummer, he says he got shot. Well, he didn't get shot. He, uh, I saw him like the next day. That was one of the funny things. My, my parents came to find, they found me and they, and 
Mississippi, and, and they drove over there from Houston, and and uh, and our my room in comes Artemis. I'll never forget my dad, the conservative oil Texas Republican, talking to this guy with all this hair, Artemis. <laughs> I was the short, all, short son. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah he. So I, I don't know. Everybody had a different story, you know, about how. But anyway, they, they were great people. They I, I've, I've since kind of met them. I follow them on Facebook a little bit. And, um, you know, it was the big day of their lives too. That you yeah. know. So when when did you? I mean, so you got knocked out by a tree that came through the top yeah. of the plane, and then how long were you unconscious for? When when you? Not when you, very long, I don't when, think. When what, what do you remember first after the crash? Well, I, I, I was kind of upside down. The, 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 I was still latched and, you know, I still had my seatbelt on and, and the guy next to me, Mark, who was Artemis' drum root, was, uh, he, he was still strapped in. But we were kind of up in the air, kind of laying on our backs, kind of somehow. And, and I looked at uh, Mark, I said, God, we really crashed. And, and, and then it's a little fuzzy. Somehow I climbed out of the plane and there were four of us that climbed out of the plane. And, and it was Artemis, the drummer, uh, Mark Franks, who was sitting back. I was in the very back row. I was the last seat on the right, on the window. Probably the safest place in the plane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We piled up. The guys across from me, Mark Howard, we, we just smashed. Craig Reed, the drummer, the roadie. We just smashed them against, the, you know, wherever. And, it, it was pretty, it was bad. But anyway, four of us climbed out. It was me, uh, Kenny Peden, Artemis, and Mark. And, and um, I remember Artemis was sitting there, and he was kind of taking the lead. You know, he was a Marine. So he, he had been out of the Marines a few years, but he, he, you know, he had that training stuff. And he jumped right in and said, okay, I'll get the pilots. They'll help us. So he ran to the front of the plane. And he came back and said they were the pilots were not with us. And um, they uh, and he said, okay, we're going for some help, uh, but you're too hurt, me. So he said, hold on to a tree. It'll give you energy. So I latched onto the tree. And he told me, um, watch out for alligators because we were in the swamp kind of area. And I'm sitting there worried about alligators. And, you know, and, and I think then, you know, you're in shock. And you, you don't think, you know, you, you, you don't really have a lot of pain. You're just numb. And, and I didn't realize it, but I got about three or 400 stitches afterwards. Just oh, wow. little cuts. Yeah, just a little. I had a hunk of steel sticking out of my arm, but I didn't realize it. And I'm holding on to that tree. <laughs> and then I start feeling a little pain. And then I, I, I laid imagine. down. Yeah, I laid down. And I was kind of in the water, you know, just a little but just enough to where it started getting cold, you know, it was in October. So it was kind of chilly and I was just sitting there shaking and, um, it got dark and I'm, I'm laying there and, um, I, I, you know, then I all of a sudden I could hear people in the plane kind of, you know, starting to scream, you know, and, um, I remember Billy Powell was behind me. He'd climbed out in some time in that area. And he was talking about his nose being gone. And then that's kind of when I started thinking, I go, well, what's wrong with me? So I started, you know, playing with my fingers and, and uh, wiggling my toes. But um, 
I'm sure I was barefoot because I usually wear sandals. You know? Yeah, you do. Still to this day. Yeah, still to this day. And and uh, they they finally found us with a helicopter and some lights, and then all the farmers found us. And they pulled us out. Wow. And then uh, obviously we lo you lost some of the band members. Were, were there any crew guys that that didn't make that? Uh, the was it just, was it just Dean, the Dean was kind of the assistant road manager they called him. He died, um, and the rest were in the band. They just happened to be sitting up front in the bad part. You know, yeah. I, I I switched seats with somebody. Well, we switched all the time because if you wanted to play poker, the, the back of the plane was where the table was. So you know, those of us who like to play poker. It was a good day to be playing poker for me, at least. I, the other guy, the uh, Mark Howard, kind of ended up the worst of us six, I think. Yeah. And, and how, how long were you laid up for? I was in the hospital in Macomb about a week, and then and it was a weird airplane flight home. Let me tell you, I uh, I wore contacts, so I did, and and then uh, I had lost my one one contact came out and crashed one. My buddy Rodney Eckman, not Ronnie the road manager, Rodney was the first one that walked in my room that morning, you know, about one or two in the morning. He said, can I help you with anything? I said, you know, because the hospital staff were just completely overrun. They, they had to make people leave the some of the hospital rooms. Like, if you were okay, kind of, you were going to get checked out in a day or two. They <laughs> they booted you out. And, and um I remember when they worked on me in the lobby of the, of the, you know, of the emergency room out there in the middle. Some of the, they, they put a toe tag on my foot. <laughs> oh, hey, what? You know, about the toe tag. And he goes, no, we just, none of y'all have any wallets. And I, you know, because I never carried my wallet anyway. But the only reason I had it with me was because I had money because we were playing poker. But normally it would have been in my gig bag. So yeah, none of us had any wallets and they were all concerned, you know, and it's like that toe tag, I'll never forget. I was number 28. I don't know where they, how they're numbered. So Do you still have it? No, I don't. Uh, I wish, you know, that's one of those things you kind of collect, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah. I still have my suitcase. From, from the, from the crash. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I used soft side luggage. I always have for some reason. And, and, um, yeah, it's in the closet somewhere in there. I never, but it was ripped up pretty good. Well, you know, there's there's lots of uh, you know stories that you know you've been in more than one plane crash. Yeah, I have. What, the other what, ones were more accidents than they were crashes. Okay, I've been, so, I've been in one that caught on fire. I was in a seven forty seven coming out of Honolulu. I, I've but you know I've flown probably five thousand times. You know, yeah, it's not way more than exaggerating. Most, yeah, yeah. Well, more you, your chances of I you take I would rather be in an airplane in any form you know in a car or a tour bus. I've been in tour buses and nearly had a wreck. Yeah, yeah. And I'm surprised that you know that I got to tell you kudos to the bus drivers in our industry. You think all the miles they've driven and not really many accidents. You know, yeah, few. Uh, my my story is a is 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 a is a bus accident. Um, <clears throat> I think it's 1991. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne European tour. We're going through eastern, east east Germany. You know, on our way to Berlin, and it's very foggy. I mean, first of all, I'm I'm asleep during the accident. 
but uh, apparently uh, our bus driver was going much too fast for the environment, dense fog, and the traffic was stopped up ahead. And by the time he saw it, it was way too late and he slammed on the brakes and crashed into the back of a, you know, a line of cars. And uh, I can remember the screech, I can remember the impact. And we got up, I mean, we, we made a mess of what was in front of us, you know, where we all jumped out. We were lifting cars up so people can get pulled out from underneath. Um, you know, we watched people die. You know, I watched, a, you know, medics, you know, doing a tracheotomy in a woman and sticking a hose down her throat and blood is just coming up everywhere. And she, she didn't make it, but it's hard. It's horrible. You know, yeah. it's, it stays with me, you know, um, especially when you're white, it's, that's kind of the people that pulled us out of the plane. the same thing. You were in the accident, but you were conscious the whole time yeah. where we really weren't, you know, we were kind of laid up, you know, it's, it gets real fuzzy, but those guys have explained, you know, when you come up on it and that, they had no idea that it was a big plane. They, they thought they'd heard of a plane crash. They were thinking it was a little four-seater or something. And they'd come up on, because this plane really was an executive aircraft. It, it didn't have, you know, like normal seats. It had some, but most of the seats were kind of swiveled. You know, it was like, it would have sat like 44, but we could only carry like 24. So. Oh, right. So, seats, seats were turned around facing each other, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And the middle had normalcy. But yeah, that guy, that must have been a bad experience on you. I've been in a couple of tour buses. I remember waking up one night, we were doing 360 somewhere around with Milwaukee and um, the ice. Yeah. And, the, um, generally, the, the worst, part, worst part about my story, I mean, other than the obvious, is we actually made the gig. You know, uh, the tour manager called a passenger coach and it showed up and we got shuttled into Berlin and we went and we loaded in and it was the quietest load in you'd ever see. Oh, you know, it was just somber. And we did the gig that day. It was really, really, you know, a dark day. Who are you with? It was, it was Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, um, oh, 19, right. 1991, uh, no more tears tour. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so you know, after that, after the crash, is, is were you, did you were you touring anymore after that? Or yeah, that I, I, I I remember when I got back, you know, uh, um, a friend of mine, Jimmy Johnson, called me and said, you know, he heard, he kind of was helping me out too. He said, uh, I got boss gags. Could you come out and kind of be a carpenter on it? I said, sure. That tour manager, so Jimmy out. Johnson. Hmm? Tour manager, Jimmy Johnson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the yeah. production manager. I first met him in Hawaii. He was the promoter rep for one of the West Coast promoters. We were doing some, uh, I guess, um, either Skinner or, or Frampton shows out there one time. And, and, and I, that's when I first met Jimmy. And we, we, we kind of went way back. You know, that was about 75, 6, 77 in there. And... Um, he was a good friend and then so when i boss gagged and then as soon as i got back kind of december uh i went out with foreigner the next year and then uh i remember i left i was out with foreigner for like back then we we you know it wasn't anything to do 200 shows in a tour just oh, in no, the united no. states and we were on like show number i don't know 
near 200. I think they did about 230 or 250 on that tour. But and then I went over to Japan with Frampton, and and we went down to Australia and kind of did that. I came back to Hawaii, ended up staying in Hawaii for a couple of weeks, and um, let's see, I then got 179. I, I stayed on the road through you know 81. But I started work eighty two, but I, that's when I kind of started transitioning to working for Pace, and then I started doing that, and then we kind of came up the idea of building amphitheaters, and we started building amphitheaters. Um, was the Woodlands one of the first? Oh no, no, no! Woodlands was like one of the last. We we built the first amphitheater we built was at a theme park in Houston called Astral World. You know, oh, right. I've done that. Yeah. 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 And well, you probably did the second one. We, we've had kind of, we kind of experimented with how to do it. And, you know, no, there was no promoters that really own their own gigs, but Alan Becker was a smart man. He had started by, he bought theaters like he owned the Sanger in New Orleans. I think he still does, doesn't he? No, no, he sold it uh, after Katrina. Uh, they, he's actually sold them all now. He had about 10. And then we kind of talked, we, we built the one at Asperl, then we built that Austin South Park Meadows. I don't know, did you ever play there? Uh, I don't remember that. That place was, it was a perfect amphitheater place, but the landowner was a nut. So anyway, um, it's like a Walmart area. It's kind of, it pains me now. It was in a perfect place in Austin to had a festival site, and it was kind of next to a park. And, the landowner, we just couldn't get along. And, and at that time, we were just developing amphitheaters. And we kind of discovered that we needed to make them nice. People just weren't going to come sit in dirt. You know? So we, the first one we really built was in, in Nashville, Starwood. And then then we built the next one. And that was the, the next one was really kind of funny because Alan got us all in a room and said, okay, you, you know, you didn't call us clowns but we were just you know that was the early 80s and we were just kind of it was becoming a business we were starting to make money you know and, and promoters were getting more legit and alan was you know he had a theatrical department he had a motorsports department and he had uh concerts and and, and we kind of got louie and brian becker and our gary's older brother i don't know if you ever knew him but he, he uh I kind of talked to him. We built the amphitheater. So we built the one in Nashville and then we built Dallas and Atlanta at the same time with Universal Pictures. And then I think we built Pittsburgh. Then we built um, the one in Camden, Walnut Creek, wherever it's at. Um, you know, and we yeah, just, yeah. and then we started buying them. We, we had, a, um, we took over DeVore in LA. The one in Phoenix and the one in Charlotte. Yeah, when you say we, you're talking about pace, correct? Pace, right. Yeah, okay. And then uh, we kind of became the big mongolet. We were kind of getting yeah, nationwide, and I would that, that's you know I was kind of back touring a little bit. Louis sent me out with you know I was, we were doing a lot of stadium shows. We were you know our, our area was bigger, and I mean I, I was doing shows in Philly and Pittsburgh and. Um, and then um, sometime, you know, when their SFX bought, I'll start buying everybody and the Beckers sold the SFX. 
then they kind of set up a sale to the radio station out of San Antonio, which is called Clear Channel. Clear Channel, yeah. And then uh, they they found out that we weren't so viable as <laughs> as they thought. And you know, I, it was kind of a combination. I guess the radio stations thought they could control the music and and yada yada yada, and it just didn't quite work out. So um, Bob Silverman and it set up the sale of Clear Channel. Then they set up the sale. Um, they they spun us off basically just to kind of get rid of us. And of course now now they're in trouble. And Live Nation really the stock's done really really well. Yeah, I remember the period of time when it went SFX, Clear Channel, Live Nation. That wasn't. That's long of a stretch. I can remember oh, no, all you guys. All you guys were changing your email addresses and your your letterhead, and it was just. A, it seemed like that was just like a couple, three years. It's been, you know. You know, and I, I was involved in it. You know, working for the company. I don't even know how long it was. I, I just remember I was bummed because we were SFX, and then they moved the office to New York, and then they kind of moved everything back to Houston. So they were using Pace as lawyers and, and all that when we became Clear Channel. And Clear Channel Radio is run out of San Antonio. So the Texas connection. So they, they moved everything back to Houston. So when we were SFX for whatever it was, I mean, Clear Channel for what, two years or I don't even remember. Um, everything was run out of Houston. So I was like, well, this is kind of great, you know? And then when they, uh, we became, uh, they, they spun us off, they called it for H. I think for every share you got eight, every eight shares you had a clear channel, you got one share of Live Nation or something like that. I don't, I don't remember. But, so they spun us off. Just and all of a sudden we were our own company. And, and kudos to Mr. Rapino and them. They built it up. So here we day to day, and then we were just flying along until boom. <laughs> Yeah, they sure have. They sure have. Well, I mean, but it, it, until like March the 14th, whatever it was, we were everything was great. But yeah, it just stopped. Yeah, it it sure has. It sure has. So what, what do you what do you think's gonna happen? Well, we were gonna. Um, the Woodlands was ready. To, of course, I live in Houston, and then the Dallas Amphitheater. We we basically had permission from the governor in the, the local community to start doing shows like right now like a later august or september so we were going to start doing some shows and it was going to be different because we were probably going to you know use local sound and lights because no one would be touring that that's going to be the weirdest step how that's going to work but then we opened up the state opened up and uh on memorial day and then we just shot through the roof in the covid you know, the amount of people getting it. And so that was that. So I think for the rest of this year, we're shut down, you know, yeah. in what I do, you know, it's like, which is arenas and stadiums and amphitheaters. Um, yeah. The clubs might slowly open up. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I think everybody's guess is good. I mean, I think unless something really happens with the flu and I, I think by, March, April, we'll kind of slowly get the amphitheaters going. I, I think they'll be the first ones out. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, I, I think anything is speculation right now because 
it seems like every time I think that it's going to be, you know, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel, somebody opens a trap door or something. I don't know. It's like, yeah, everybody's got an opinion, you know, um, and that's that's it. They're opinions, you know. I mean, I, I, I hear people say lots of things, but they're not basing it on anything. There's no backup. It's just hunches and, and, and what how they feel. And I get it, you know. I mean, there are tour managers and production managers out there telling, you know, crew guys who've got families and mortgages to get other jobs or, you know, do this, that, and the other, because it could be a while. And, and uh, I, I totally get that aspect of it. Play it safe. Make sure your family's taken care of. But, you know, me, uh, I, I, I'm an absolute optimist. I, I see the vaccine coming. I see no reason why the vaccine's going to be a problem. Um, you know, everybody from Oxford to the CDC in North America, everybody's, as they say, cautiously optimistic. You know, the trials are going well. So, you know, I think that's the thing. If there's a vaccine out there, whether you get the vaccine or not, there's still going to be a, a newfound confidence in, in leaving the house, buying a ticket, you know. And that's just on the one side of the barricade. I mean, the other side of the barricade, what we're doing, you know, there's a hundred stagehands backstage, you know, there's a bunch of caterers, you know, there's, a, you know, there's touring personnel, there's security, there's custodial. I mean, there's hundreds of people backstage all touching the same doorknobs and, and this and that and the other. So uh, we've got to have confidence, not just from the ticket buying audience, but by, you know, do I want to walk through that door from the bus backstage and, and feel, and feel safe? You know? I, I think, you know, and you're right, I, I do think it's going to be kind of like 9-11 was. When, after 9-11, all of a sudden we were walking through metal detectors, where security became more paramount. I, I think we're going to have to check temperature, you know. I think you're going to have these walk-through things that check your temperature. Um, you know, catering is going to be, I don't think we're going to be having... Uh, buffet style catering and uh, I, I think at first in the amphitheaters we might until you know it, it's going to be rough on the vendors I, I feel so sorry for people I, you know I'm fortunate but I um, it's got to be rough on people I feel so bad for them, especially younger people with, with families and stuff I mean you know yeah you know, it, it's just, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, we're, we might have to at first look at it differently. There's not going to be, a, I don't think it's going to be a light switch at all of a sudden one day. Okay, everybody get back in the buses and let's go. You know, I, I think like the amphitheaters, we might toy with using local lights and sound for, you know, a lot of them mm -hmm. to, to keep the cost down if we still have to do social distancing. Uh, if we do, I mean, even our amphitheaters that seat 15 to 20,000, you know, at 25%, there's not a lot of growth there, you know. Um, we're going to have to see at first how that one strums out. It's all about the vaccine, I think, you know, and everybody's, you know, I, I, I see lots of discussions about how, how do we get back to work sooner than later and what are the precautions, you know, whether we're taking temperatures, you know, whether, you know, there's discussions of there's new fluid that you can hose the arena down and it, and it cleans it. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, you got to You know, it, you it's, gotta. It, 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 hopefully they can get a vaccine. See, I might've had it. You think? Yeah, yeah I, uh, I was at a convention 
you know, they have that. I'd never been to the Parnelli Awards. I'd never had the opportunity. I always was doing a show, even when my friends were getting the award. And I really felt bad on numerous occasions when they, you know, that I didn't go out there and kind of support them. And, um, but this, this year, Springo was getting it right. And, and, and uh, my buddy Kyle Jones talked me in. I come on and come out. And so I, I had the weekend off. And, and, you know, and I said, well, what the hell? I've never been because he, he was pretty um, wanting me to come. His new, he was working with Jim Bramer, you know, the guy G2 has the truck to come in. Um, I went out there and, and um, Kyle, Kyle's had some heart problems. But anyway, so we stayed out there. You know, the 120,000 people at this convention, and I'm walking around. On what am I doing here? This is the stupid thing. Anyway, the next day we went to, the, you know, we were across the street from Disneyland. I went to Disneyland. So I stayed a couple of days. And Kyle came back and he ended up in the hospital. He was so sick. And they said, well, you don't have the flu. You got something. We don't know what it is. And then about a week later, as I recall, I got the worst cough I've ever had in my life. Oh, no. I felt like I, I was felt bad. And this is what, February? Yeah, February. And then um, end of January, the thing was, I think I got sick about February the 1st-ish. I, I don't recall because I didn't think anything about it. You know, you think you got the flu, I got bad sinuses. And, and then um, Kyle called me about a month ago and said that he had tested antibody positive for the stuff. And he said, you should go get checked, me. And I go, you know what? From what I've heard, <laughs> The tests aren't that accurate. It is not, not. It would not change my life. But the other day, I went for my physical, and, and they, I said, you know, doctor, you know, and then when they were doing my blood work, he said, oh, we'll just do an antibody test. So we'll see. Hmm. I, you know, I've talked to other people. A lot of people think they've had it, you know, or maybe I don't know. You know, yeah. I've known about five people that have died from it. I oh, really? Few, I know quite a few people have had. It. Oh, I know a few yeah. people have had it, but nobody's died, though. I mean, that's, yeah, that's we've, we've had a couple of guys here in Houston, a security guy, you know, just the local security guy everybody liked. There was another uh, Hispanic guy that used to work with us. He was in worked in the Hispanic world when we did shows with him. He passed. Um, a couple of other people that I've known, kind of, not no real good friends, no family. You know, and then my, you know, Gianna, my goddaughter, she, she, her best friend got it. Oh no. Yeah. So we, we were all going to go out on, um, well, you know, I had this fantasy. I was, I was going to take one of the tour buses and somebody wasn't using, and eh, that didn't work out, but it's, I was going to, you know, it's like everybody else. I was wanting to hop in an RV and that kind of ruined that for the summer. It's just, yeah. it's hey, been hey, so weird. You know, I've never had a like... summer off in my life ever. <laughs> I know. You know what this is like, this, this conversation, uh, this is, this is what we do when there's like 30 minutes of loadout left, you know, I end up in your office, we're sitting there, you've got the captain on your desk. Me and my started, captain, yeah. And then, and then you, you and I are just shooting this shit. This is exactly what you and I have been doing for, you know, 30 years, just, just, you know, just waiting for the final trucks to finish and oh, we just yeah. shoot the shit and catch up and, you know, and it's, uh, it's really fun. It's really fun. And you, you and I have had so many laughs over the years, just, you know, laughing at this or whatever, stupid stuff. And, you know, and, 
and we've run into each other. Do you remember the one time I was just driving down the street? And I, I live here in New Orleans, and I, and I look over, and there you are on the street corner. I go, Lover, what the fuck are you doing? And why you did know, you, you live me? in my favorite town? Uh, you know, I always tell people that if I um, if I lived there, I'd be dead. Because yeah. I'm not an adult like you have to be to be there, I guess. Because no one, if no one's telling me to go home, I'm playing through. I mean, I've had some crazy nights in that town. Yeah, I've and, had some crazy nights with you and days oh, yeah. in Houston too. Wow. And, and, you know, and I, I don't think we, uh, uh, I don't think we need to get into, you know, what we did. No. Stuff, but you know, but we will free for. Oh, I did. You know, I'm burning at both ends. There's no doubt about it. And you yeah. know, it's funny, everybody, because you know, I'm getting old. I'm gonna be 69 this year. And oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. If it's, <laughs> it's bad enough as it is. Anyway, I don't feel 59, I mean 69, and I everybody keeps going, when are you going to retire? Especially some of the younger people coming up, you know, they'll go, I, I was at one of those conventions sometime, I, one of the girls said, you guys need to retire so we can take your job, you know, <laughs> I go, well, you know, I don't know, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to stop, and, and I'm having too much fun, it, it, I like my job, and this sitting at home has proven it to the nth degree. I oh, have I no intention. I miss the people on the road, my family. That's my, you know, just the building managers in Oklahoma City or Wichita or, you know, Dallas, I, I miss them. And, and uh, I can't believe it because of what I, it, I was starting to Chris Stapleton tour, kind of what happened to me. You know, everybody kind of had their story, like 9-11. Mm -hmm. But we'd start rehearsals in Corpus Christi. I'd flown up to Dallas and we started loading into the brand new baseball stadium there. And these poor guys had been working like 24 hours a day to get this building ready. I mean, it was not open. It was the, this was going to be the first event. And, and I'd flown up there. We started the stage, flew back to Corpus. It was Wednesday, whatever that was, the 10th or 11th of March. And, and we, um, we did the show and about halfway through the show, it, I guess Chris's wife knew Tom Hanks' wife for a while. And they were both in Australia and had the disease. And, you know, it hadn't hit us yet, really. I mean, and and, um, and then he, he just told somebody, we're done. Well, first show of the tour, last show of the tour. And so I had to go back up to Dallas and, um, and load the show out. And, and um, Bob Rue, you know, my, my buddy, uh, he called me and said, I don't want the stage hands telling anybody the show's canceled. Tell them to keep building the stage in the morning. I don't want it to stop. You know, because he didn't want to get out to the mayor of Arlington, cause, and, and which where the stadium was and the stadium owners, you know, see us tearing down the stage before they found out, you know. So yeah, of course, yeah. I flew up there. We loaded the stage out. I flew home, and I have not been – this, I mean – I, I, it's never been like this in my life. I mean, if I'd have known this, I might have done something different. You know, I kind of had a plan or something, but I've never had any hobbies. You know, our business is my work. It's been, it's been, uh, it's weird. You know, sleeping late. 
first time in my life, I guess I'm not tired, you know, from doing five shows in a week. Yeah, yeah. Sleep, and, uh, you know, what's it like yeah. to sleep eight hours a night or whatever? Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's like, yeah. I, I, I don't like it. I, I know everybody else has got worse stories than me. I'm lucky, but um, it's, it's, I don't know. I, where it's headed, I don't know. I just, I hope they find a, a vaccine. I hope it works. And I hope everyone yeah. takes it. That's going to be the next problem. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, there's anti-vaxxers out there that just mm -hmm. won't. But for it to be effective, does everybody have to take it for it to be effective? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, it's it's the flu vaccine. I, I, You know, everybody says, I always get it because we meet so many people. You, you travel, yeah. you know, it's like, I, I always forgot that. You never have. No, is there any residualness from, from the Not flu for vaccine? me. Oh. Your arm's sore. Oh, I take, <laughs> I take the vaccine every time i mean i um do you go to your doctor or just down to the drugstore what do you do no it's always some rock dog but oh gotcha yeah of course but this year i'm i'm going to um i talked to my doctor but the the problem is it's better not to get it i don't want to make give everybody medical advice they have their own opinions but if that they say it's better to wait till october to get it because then you you get it it's good through the whole winter of course now and, and you know who knows if they got the right vaccine i mean i think if because if, i've had the flu really bad twice before the vaccines kind of came in you know when i was a kid and maybe when i was in college i had it really really bad and believe me you know if you had it. i mean it is oh yeah on your back every muscle sore and so when i've had my shot i, I think you might get it a little bit but it, you know, that that's the weird thing about this disease. I, I keep thinking, um, what about if it had been like the AIDS virus, but passed through breathing like this, mm -hmm. you know, sneezing or whatever. I mean, we'd have been in trouble. I mean, it, we're lucky this disease is not that fatal. It seems yeah, yeah. to be, it seems to be fatal and it has residual problems i think that being my age you know you hear if you're over 65 it was kind of like I, I remember when they they first started talking about it they um yeah the wind's starting to blow a little bit outside folks <laughs> i can i can hear it i'm sitting here watching the the weather channel you know over here on oh, the left they're they're getting battered. I can kind of hear the wind every once in a while. We get a pretty good gust outside. It's right. Crazy, you blow all the pollution out of here. Hey, hey, getting back to New Orleans, I know I know your your the story that you tell me every time we see each other about New Orleans. It's you know, just, and it's funny because I, I felt bad because I think up. you got tired of hearing me story. But every time I saw you, because it was such <laughs> a good story. So what had so we produced the final four. We helped turn the broadcasting out yeah and uh we with the first show that i had done it was about eight or nine years ago i i don't know now but it was in houston so they liked us so much that they took us to new orleans we went to new orleans and and, and believe it or not you know because the, the final four and these guys had developed this sponsor driven um free concert and he was gonna they thought and we met with these guys and, and they were going to close Canal Street, you can imagine, and take the electrical lines that we were going to build a stage and, you know, just 
Well, that, that, that avoid not make any sense. So they found Who's this with? Hmm? Who is this with? Well, here you'll have to. So it's the final four. So the final four comes into town and Turner Broadcasting had put together three corporate sponsors that wanted these 18 to 24 year olds. It's the perfect audience for them. So, and, and like we've had Bruce Springsteen's played it. Um, I mean, Lan, I don't even remember, but yeah, I did it with a you lot of large bands played it. So they go, it's a huge budget. It's a free show, but, but it gets all these ads out and it's what they want. So it was funny. My buddy, Bob Rue, you know, I said, well, are you coming to uh, New Orleans? Um, he goes, you ain't going to make it, man. You know, talking about my party. And so we were staying at the Weston hotel yeah. and the, the, um, the casino was next door. And yeah, I could see the gig from my mind because it's right on the river. There was this park. Right. And, and uh, so we put it all up and built the stage. It was a crazy stage. The load in was awful, but we, it was still New Orleans. We didn't care. And, and I've got a lot of my friends, Rob Manley, and, the, and a lot of people come in. We, we have fun every year and we, and we continued to do it. This year got canceled, but of course, but it was in Atlanta, but. So the first night of that, uh, on the Friday night, Kiss was the uh, headline. There's usually four bands. I don't even remember who else was playing. And um, so the night before, on Thursday night, we did a sound check. And uh, I guess the next day, because I remember Buffett came over and he was hanging out with us. And the, that guy that was in the hangover, the little Chinese guy, he was on the stage. We ran into him. I mean, it was just fun. And Kid Rock was playing at the House of Blues, you know, right down the street. And we were just, it was just decadent. I mean, it was. Yeah, yeah. So I think the next day it might have been, uh, I'm, I'm talking to Chris. You were doing an advance or something. We were yeah. advancing Roger Waters somewhere. And, and uh, I, I don't remember. And I, he said, he said, where are you? And I said, man, I'm in your hometown. I'm in New Orleans doing this, you know, corporate event I do every year for the Final Four. And he said, uh, you know, my wife said that there was a really bad Kiss cover man playing in the um, in the quarter last night. And I go, no, that was Kiss. <laughs> so I always tell him that, you know, because it's just a funny rock and roll story. It's just, just matter of fact, like, no, that was Kiss. <laughs> Well, we, our house is just, you know, just down river from where the stage was. So the sound really carried along the river all the way to our neighborhood. <laughs> and, and our buddy Triff Caleb wasn't mixing that night. So. Uh, thank goodness. Thank just, goodness. Oh, but today, um, boy, he's, if you talk to him. You know what? Uh, uh, Tripp, uh, who's Roger Waters sound engineer for, for many years. Uh, he, you know, when he retired... He just kind of disappeared, and, right. and and you know, and I've reached out to him several times because he 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 has a house down in the Bahamas or the Caribbean. Oh, I was worried about him a couple of times. He gets run yeah. over by hurricanes. All but uh, I, I I sent him and you know after him not responding to texts and emails, I sent I sent him a text saying, "Hey man, I'm worried about you. You know, <laughs> just 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 what's going on, bro?" And uh, he did respond. He said, "Hey, I'm okay. Thanks for checking." He, in. he called me about like two weeks ago. Uh, I didn't ever talk to him. I called him back. He didn't call back. I talked to Dave Cobb, you know, his mm -hmm. buddy. Um, 
and because I knew them in the seventies, you know, with Claire brothers all the time. So uh, that's how I got to know them real well. Trip was a really good friend of mine. Yeah. Hey, um, no, no, go ahead, please. So, so, so the, the, the New Orleans show, <laughs> it kept going. So Buffett was the next night, which was Saturday, I mean, Sunday night. And we, we went out on it because the, the um, Saturday show, and I think it was the Black Keys, and I don't even remember who was on. You know, it was like four bands played. It was during the day. It was gorgeous weather. It was just a gorgeous weekend. And, and we got to go out after that that, that evening because the basketball game's on Saturday night. So we can't do a show during the basketball game. So um, we went out to dinner. We had more fun. And the next day, Buffett shows back up. He plays. and It was a hell of a show. That was a great weekend. But, yep, kids sound check. Yeah. <laughs> has a million stories, aren't there? There, 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 there are, you know. And uh, man, just the, the 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 amount of stories we've told each other back and forth for years is just, you know, it's just wonderful. And and, and it's part of the reason, you know, we love touring. You know, just mm-hmm. love catching up and just, you know, you know. It, it, God, I can't wait to get back to. It. I can't. I can, My. I can't believe it's going to be September this weekend. And, you know, and I, I look at the calendar because, you know, I, I have a Google calendar that we kind of use to decide, you know, who's doing what shows. And I keep looking at the canceled shows because they're still on there. And I go, oh, man. Like we were going to do Chris Stapleton at Wrigley this weekend. Oh, man. I just saw that. I know. It was like, you know, in this time of the year, to get out of Houston is a pretty good idea. You know, it's it's just like New Orleans. It's hot. We're getting tired of it being hot. And uh, it's nice outside right now, by the way. The breeze is blowing a little bit. And I think it's blowing about 35, 40 miles an hour. Outside now. Hmm. But because uh, it's getting, that storm's getting close, man. Yeah. Say, uh, say, give some thoughts to all your people over there. Yeah, I, uh, I don't. I don't really know anybody there. I mean, I don't. Well, know. I don't either, really, other than the building. Uh, but you know, it's like yeah. Still, hey, so, gotta... so some some you know really bad news just hit us you know yesterday about our our, our friend Dan Parisi passing. And I'm sure you knew Dan really well. Um, mm. I mean, I knew Dan. You know, we were young knuckleheads in New York City. I mean, when we were kids, we, we were the same age. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 58. Dan and I were the same age or within a year or whatever. And uh, we used to do shows at the Ritz, you know, just like club shows, you know. And then he graduated into, you know, being the production guy for Madison Square Garden and, you know, and watched him go up through that and be the head of production for Life Nation New York City and then mm-hmm. starting his own company and getting, you know, great accounts with the NFL and this and that and the other and so proud of him. And you know to watch him become what he became, and and uh, it was such a shock too. I mean, it was like yeah. Well, I just wondered if it's a casualty, you know, a COVID casualty. You know, I mean, he he, he was a lot of people that relied on him for work, and and I'm sure he took that stress very personally. You know, I think you know, the a lot of the roadies are getting older. You know, especially my generation of roadies and stuff. Um, but it, it, you've got to think some of it is COVID stress related or some yeah. people have given up or I, 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 Dan wasn't giving up. I mean, he, I, I met him at Madison Square Garden. It died dance shows with him when he first started. And 
and, and that's how I got to know him. And we, we were good friends. I mean, you know, we were, um, he'd been over to my house before and, you know, when he was in town and, and, and I'd talked to him in production. I went out to iHeart a few times out in Las Vegas. So I was just yeah. out there. I saw him out there and, you know, um, not that I went to iHeart. I don't know why I was even out there. But anyway, he, he was a good guy and he was great for our industry. And, um, I'm sure the stress of all this didn't yeah. Cause yeah, yeah. It, you know, Keith Keller called me yesterday morning. I, I um, a friend of mine was that works for global touring in live nation. Um, yeah. Keith, he lives in Houston. Yeah. 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 But this was another guy was driving through and, and so I was up eating breakfast yesterday morning, which is, he, he was just driving through and, and he had gone to get a, a, his aunt had passed and he'd gone to, uh, kind of clear out her stuff and you know and he just had to be driving through and he was in you know Houston was just on a stop and, and um and then Keith called me and then you know and you don't want to pass around rooms until you know so Keith and then I called Brent Silverstein and oh, yeah. uh, they worked together and, and I didn't tell him he died I just said I heard he had a heart attack can you check on him he did and then he, he evidently, it was instant, you know, one of those. One oh, of those. wow. He, he was out in Los Angeles because he didn't like to fly back to New York. Oh, he wasn't in, he was in L.A. when it happened. He was at a home in L.A. He had evidently rented a house out there because Rock Nation's out there. And, and um, I, where's the Super Bowl this year? I don't even know. But that was their next big event, you know, that was – now that everything else has been shut down, they weren't doing the iHeart. They were doing iHeart kind of like whatever you call it with no audience. Yeah. And, well, I hope, I hope uh, DPS and, and all those guys. Uh, that's, I, hope, I, wonder, I wonder if they can keep it going. If, you know, I, if I, they've got some good people, but Dan was the guy. I mean, I, I don't think anybody, he, he was the salesman. He was the director of the TV shows. He, he had really builds himself a great niche. I mean, he, he was, you know, and he was 61. I mean, he wasn't that old at all. I mean, oh, okay. So he's a little older. So I, I really don't look at his old. I can't believe I'm saying that. But it's funny. No, he was a good, really good person. And, and, and um, our business lost a good guy. Yeah, we're going to miss and him. We've been losing a lot of guys this year. And I, I think some of it is COVID related. I mean, some people are dying from the, the disease and the stress, you know, it, it was like, it was such a, it, it's unbelievable. And I know everybody in all forms of, you know, business, you know, the, especially the travel business and the whatever, their business is hurting. But our business went from 100 miles an hour to zero in 24 hours, basically. Right, right. I, and, and, you know, if, if you, because I always felt like, our business was kind of bulletproof. You know, we'd been, I've been through about three or four recessions with it. Yep. Uh, and, and, and people generally wanted to go to shows. They'd figure out how to make, get enough money to go to shows. And, and so we had always been recession proof. And so what else was there? You know, pandemic. No, that's back in the 60s, the Renaissance, right? <laughs> You know, plagues back then, but we, 
it just the thought had never occurred to me it could happen. And, and don't get me started on the politics, but I, I think it, it could have been handled better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough listening to the news because the RNC convention's going on now, and you know just some of the you know. Well, you know, you and I are like political zingers. I see coming out of there. I just, I, I, all I know is, is I hope this is over soon, but I don't know when. And, and I don't think anybody who says they know knows. You know, this is so much new territory. It wasn't handled well. It's still not being handled well. And, um, you know, I, I haven't just totally stayed at home. I know people who have not been out of their house since March. Wow. And, and you know, they either get their, their, their significant other does the grocery shopping or they get it delivered, you know, with Amazon through home with through Whole Foods. And um, that's the one thing that I have. I, my The damn Amazon truck stops at my house every day. <laughs> I got you know, I, it's, you know, but not that I buy groceries. I mean, I, I guess I'm not as fatalistic. I mean, I go out to eat once or twice a week. Um, it's definitely slowed down. I, I wouldn't go to a bar. You know, I wouldn't go to a place um, that wasn't, you know, checks your temperature when you come in. You know, you will keep your hands and your tables are so far apart. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend on a Zoom kind of, happy hour um, the other day. He's from New Orleans. Um, and as I've told you, and you know, I love New Orleans. But it, we were talking, and, and one of the guys here in Houston lives kind of more in the downtown area. He's a younger guy. And he uh, lives in a condo down there. It's kind of more the hipper area of Houston now. And uh, I live out in the suburbs out here in West Houston. But he... Uh, he was sitting there going, well, none of our restaurants are open. I go, well, shit, all ours are open. They're, I mean, I don't even call anymore. I just assume they're open. And then he, he and I said, well, what's wrong with New Orleans this, to see that it's from New Orleans? And, and I hadn't even thought about it. The, the reason that the downtown locations aren't open and the reason the quarter things aren't open, there's nobody there, you know? It, it's like you forget that it's all tourists and people that work in the city business district yeah that go to those they're all closed around but you live right outside the quarter right? uh, yeah i live about you know 15 blocks from the quarter yeah and some of that is it but it's just closed down there uh you know what I, i'm not gonna lie i've not been in the quarter since march you know i just that, that's that's the reason none of the restaurants are open right? yeah, yeah I, I i i go to the grocery store once twice a week and i mm -hmm. go to home depot you know, once every two weeks or something. I'm a Lowe's I'm going. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I do go to Lowe's. I, I, I say Home Depot because that's, you know. It's, it's like free toes, right? <laughs> Instead of corn chip. <laughs> exactly. I've been keeping Lowe's. I mean, I got all my little project. Of course, I do one project and then I say, okay, I'm going to do that one. And then that's the one I skip, right? Because I've got about four or five that, I need to do. And, and where does the day go? I get up in the morning, get on, check my emails and, you know, read the news, get depressed, drink me an espresso. I got, I've been, I had never played games on TV before. You know, the 
I still don't. I, I found this one. It's not a fighting game. It's more of a building game. And you now I've kind of reached the end of it. So that's not all. <laughs> you know, and everybody said, what do you do all day? I don't know. You know, I, I got a Zoom meeting coming up here today. It's a, a hurricane party. Nice. Yeah, with the Ruse, you know, my buddy. He hadn't been out of the house. You know, and that poor guy, they threw the, he's, you know, they've kind of redone our structure of Live Nation, you know, concerts. Well, we're, we're, well, Rue is near the top of the pyramid, isn't he? He's way at the top now. He he inherited about two or three more jobs, so. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, then Rick Franks and, you know, a couple others, and that's, you know, they're the hierarchy. Well, Bob's in charge of them all, man. That's the new. Wow. Yeah, he, he, he's the boss of uh, all the north, all the buildings, all the uh, market, everything is under Sheesh. Bob. Yeah. Well, you know what? He's always been a hard worker and a oh. good guy, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he's tough when he needs to be. You know, he's, oh, yeah. he's mean <laughs> when he needs to be. That's right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, he's he's you know I can't I, you know he's the guy for the job. That's all there is to it. He's the best. There's no doubt. Yeah. So I Matt, think... does Matt live in New Orleans? No, I'm up in Connecticut. Yeah, but you know I could. It's funny I could tell y'all are brothers. Yeah, most people can. I've had people come up and go, "Are you Chris Gansey's brother?" You know, they look <laughs> at me strange. Or people who've never met me. I had one person go. You're Chris Kansy's brother. I mean, more not not a question, but more of a statement. You know, it, it's uh, yeah, it's that's what happens. That was. Now, are you all from Connecticut? Chris, are you from Connecticut? Um, I, I moved there when I was six years old, uh, and I lived there into my twenties. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Houstonian, born and raised. All my grandparents were from Houston. Yeah, wow. I'm just Estonian. Yeah. <laughs> so which one? I, I I'm not gonna guess because I think I know. But which one of y'all is older? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm eight years older. Eight years old. That's what I. That was nine. I, but I didn't want to say it. <laughs> no, I, I get it by, enough to where you're an old no, guy. You know, I'll, I I don't think I've said this on a podcast yet, but I'll just say this. You know, Chris. Uh, you know, when he started kind of goofing around with fans in the local scene, he had me tag along a lot. So being the eight-year younger brother, you know, learning how to wrap cables, not use his feet to move shit around and to roll cases and stuff. Uh, so every little bit of uh, experience I've had touring and with the music industry is because of my brother Chris. So which was awesome, you know, to be, you know, in high school and into my uh, early 20s. It was a great experience, so. You know, that is one thing. I guess most industries are kind of that way, is that that's how you kind of get the job. You know somebody, right? Right. You know, there's a lot of brothers, uh, now sons and grandsons that are in. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm touring with, with, you know, the children of people that I know. Right. A lot. I mean, a lot. Well, it, it's a fun business. I mean, you know, and, and, and I've continued to do it. Some people couldn't take it. And, you know, the road's hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's uh, not everybody can do it. I mean, you know, it, it's like you have to have a passion for it. And, uh, you know, to, to uh, spend all the hours and be away from your family and home. But 
I, I, I generally, boy, I, I'm so itching to jump on an airplane. I'm nearly going <laughs> to jump on one just to go somewhere, you know? And yep. it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I've always been a frequent flyer and, I, you know, at the top of the list of United, I'm starting to worry if these people are going to go bankrupt. I've got all these miles, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I'm so afraid that, you know, because yeah. I'd always figured that I would save up my hotel miles and my airline miles to where and I eventually retired. I could do some, you know, some good trips. Um, hmm. I'll, I'll go bankrupt. I, I was reading Hertz. I got tons of Hertz. Like I could rent a car for like a year or something. <laughs> I'm afraid they're just going to start dumping all of it. You know? uh, well, it'll, it'll, we all know it's going to come back. It's just the uncertainty oh, yeah. just, just, you know, spreads doubt in your head. No, it's, we live in a great country, you know. It's very Agreed. Agreed. And Agreed. Um, it's, it's just amazing that it could have been shut down. You know, in my, in my politics, we should have taken April to just shut down shut it yeah. and, yeah. and I, I give everybody a break in march because but it, when they noticed what was happening yeah. i think if, if they shut it down because it's evidently pretty contagious <laughs> so yeah. it was coming you know i don't think it was like ebola or, or whatever mike keeps talking well this guy didn't do this this that you know and i think sars and all this this disease must be more contagious than them but we still should have, should have, could have, wouldn't have, didn't. Of course, hindsight's great, but to shut it down for a month or, of course, that would have yeah. been a hard call, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. But well, this 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 has been, you know, this time flew by. You know, I mean, I'm looking at the clock and how long we've been talking, man. It flew by. But this, uh, this is a great thing. I have to. I, I hope I listen to it. And, well, I know well now because I had to figure out how to. <laughs> Listen, because I listened to uh, Gary Myers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a good guest. Yeah, and, and uh, it was it was interesting. I liked hearing his story because I've done shows with him. You know, it was like I I, I got to I get the bony finger a lot. You know, it's like a lawler. I'll go do it. So we <laughs> we we got a phone call one time uh, to go to Churchill Downs, Louisville, Kentucky to do a Rolling Stone show. I mean, we're not talking starting. They had never done a show there before. So Gary, I don't know why he got elected too, but they sent us both there. We walked in to this, you know, place that you kind of look at like with reverence, right? It's uh, the horse track. It's the, the place to go, you know, to see horse race and you go in and, you know, it's an old place. It's, you know, so we're going walking in there and, you know, didn't know who we were meeting with or anything like that. And they just disregarded us. We got like thrown to the, you know, it's like, well, hell, we're not coming back here. Thank God. And then about a week later, they call us, come back. We didn't know you were serious. We had, you know, we eventually did the Rolling Stones there, Gary and I. Wow. And we had to go back and do the police there. Now, that was the end of that. That The Stones wouldn't work pretty well financially. Yeah. Anyway, that's, yeah so, yeah, easy. I worked with Gary a couple he's a good he's a good guy gary right yeah well i'm i'm, I'm glad you made time for steve this oh been, no problem this absolutely fun you know and i miss really, all and hopefully i'll get to new orleans man i'm I, connecticut's not one of those places i gotta go oh, yeah 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 i gotcha but i'm right outside of new york so when this all happens again and if you ever happen to be up in the area 
So yeah, I can't wait. I, I, I love New York too. So yeah, I cannot wait either. I cannot wait either. Excellent. Well, you know, Matt, Matt, you know, referred to you as an icon at the at the top of the episode, and I, and I, I truly believe that is uh, is the case, man. You're one well, of the. You, 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 well, you are of, too, uh, brother. I mean, I always look forward to when I see your name. I try like hell to do the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, the, you boot the kids and, and, and stick your name in there. And I always and appreciate the pig, that. Yeah, and the pig at the Woodlands. They still talk <laughs> about that damn pig. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, Jeff Young from the Woodlands and I to talk about that frequently as well. Another good man, Jeff Young. Yes, he is. Well, all right. Y'all have a good day. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Hopefully we don't get any more hurricanes this year. But for those of us who live in the hurricane zone, it just, this is awfully early in the year. I mean, it, usually we don't even get a first one till now. I mean, and now, hmm. y'all be safe. Be safe out there. You as well, Steve. Thank you for your time and the stories, man. Be well. You're welcome. Take care. See you guys. <laughs>